Hi everyone, welcome to Boom and Gloom for episode 8. My name is Anthony, also known as Whaler Jacket in the social media world, and I am Ohio's longest suffering hockey fan. So every few episodes I like to explain why I say that for uh, any listeners who might be tuning in for the first time. So I call myself Ohio's longest suffering hockey fan because uh, most Jackets fans have only been suffering for about 23 years. Before I was a Blue Jackets fan, I was a Hartford Whalers fan living in Connecticut. And they actually moved to Carolina right before my senior year of college at Miami. And if you think the Jackets were disappointing, you have no idea. The Whalers were something else. So while most Jackets fans will say they have suffered for the better part of 23 years, I can say that I've been suffering for 37. Not only have I witnessed my favorite team only win one playoff series in that time, but I also have had my heart broken as my favorite team was ripped away from my home state, moved hundreds of miles away, renamed, and rebranded. So that is why I am Ohio's longest suffering hockey fan. And that is why I speak to you now. Uh, I'm someone who's watched, played, coached the game of hockey for a long time, seen a lot in the world, the world of hockey during my 47 years on this planet, and I just feel like I have a lot to share. So let me start sharing. Let's talk some Blue Jackets hockey, and this episode is actually a landmark episode, if you will. We have our first guests ever on the podcast, some other Blue Jackets fans who are willing to give up their time today to talk some hockey, and I really appreciate them doing this. So so first, let me welcome um, Mara, Twitter handle CBJFan5477. How you doing, Mara? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me today. No, thank you. Thank you, because this is fantastic. I'm so happy that you guys are willing to do this. And let's also welcome Mark. Twitter handle is at MarkCorell2. How you doing, Mark? Pretty good. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. And um, I think I told you in like the, the little pre-show email I sent you guys, I'm not big on the banter. Um, I just like to, you know, this is a hockey show, so I just want to get right back, right into it. That's okay with you guys. All right. So I guess we'll start with um, the topic that's kind of taken over uh, Blue Jackets hockey world right now, and that is the Elvis Merzlikin situation. Uh, at this point, I think all Jackets fans are aware of what Elvis said. Uh, he says he's asked for a trade. John Davidson said he didn't ask for a trade. JD also said the, the situation has calmed down. But um, you know, a while back, El- Elvis didn't, didn't see action for, what, like three weeks? and uh, was only the backup a couple of times on the bench. Uh, Aaron Portsline said in his most recent Front and Nationwide podcast that although it won't be stated publicly by the organization, this was a, a corrective measure. Okay, they, they want him to be a better teammate. And there are rumblings behind the scenes that the other players are kind of fed up with him. So my questions are, and this is where we're going to get into it here, has the situation been handled appropriately by the front office and coaching staff? And what do we what do we see coming from this, especially now that Spencer Martin has been claimed by Carolina? And I, I, I see this as there are four four possible outcomes. Elvis ends up staying. Elvis ends up traded by the deadline. Elvis ends up traded after the season or Elvis gets bought out after the season. So I'm going to tell you guys, you two, my thoughts, and then I'll have you guys chime in with yours. So my original opinion 
was that the Jackets handled it poorly. Okay, but, but, but then I got to thinking, all right, maybe they did try to keep everything internal. And, and I apologize, my dog is barking again. Something I did not anticipate. So, so maybe it was Elvis who blabbed in the interviews. Okay, maybe the organization's stance on the subject was that it was all part of their plan. Okay, they, they wanted to get Tarasov more time and, and see if they could handle, see if he could handle being a number one. So maybe they, they tried to keep everything quiet and, in, and internal. And maybe it was Elvis who ruined that with his big mouth. So I, I like Elvis's fire. I, I really think that the the terrible circumstances involving uh, Matisse Kavlenik's kind of derailed any path to his status as as an elite goaltender. So I, I really think that's what did it, and I, and I can't fault him for that. I, I I can't even fathom the the pain and the the suffering that, that must be involved with something like that. But but they do say. Um, Time heals all wounds, and I'm not ready to say Elvis will will never be an elite number one goalie ever. But I am ready to say that he may need the opportunity to do that somewhere else, and and that's not definite. I mean, if you look at Connor Hellebuck, he wanted out. He wanted a trade from Winnipeg, and and look what happened. He ended up signing an extension. But my question was. Um, what do you see or predict will come of this? So I'm, I'm just going to give a, an answer for that. I personally think he gets traded. Um, I want to, I want to say the off season, but, but my gut is telling me that, that, that something happens where another team like has a need and, and decides, you know, what the heck we're going to take a risk and trades for him at the deadline. But my gut, my, my gut also tells me though, that the Jackets are going to have to take on a bad contract or or retain a bunch of salary to make that happen. But maybe, maybe that's just me. Maybe it's just because I have no faith in the organization right now. So so what are your thoughts on that, Diana? What do you think? It hasn't been handled correctly. I can agree with you on that. All of this is like becoming public. I think the Jackets wanted to keep it quiet. The interviews really did not help Elvis's case. It's just a big distraction, I think, for the organization who is, which the Jackets have gone through a lot of other not so great stuff that we're going to be talking about later. Mm -hmm. I think everyone should have kept it tight. I think Elvis should not have done those interviews. Reputation is hard to come back from and if there's stuff about him being a bad teammate and his teammates being fed up with him it's going to make it a lot harder to trade him especially at the deadline i can't blame the media either just because the blue jackets haven't had much for a national headline since 2019 (laughs) and maybe 2020 so right there (laughs) yeah they they want attention and this is just reminding me so much of the edmonton oilers in recent years like the leon dry pissy thing it's it's just so such a mess right now that everyone should have handled it better and i don't see elvis getting traded at the deadline unless if blue jackets are really desperate to get rid of him and the devils trade for him but i see it more of an off-season thing because 
maybe a team will get their starting goalie injured in the offseason or something like that. But I see it more of an offseason and an in-future thing just to get that return because I don't think the Blue Jackets are in the position now with Spencer Martin getting claimed to lose Elvis right now because we don't have – and besides Tarasov and Jet Greaves, I don't see a possibility of them moving Elvis at the deadline. That, that is an excellent point. I never even thought about that, um, especially with, you know, Greaves down in Cleveland. Um, I, I think he's he's a, a worthy backup, but but you're absolutely right. Like, they're kind of boxed in now, like kind of, you know, in the situation that they brought on themselves. But so so what you're saying, though, just just to verify, so you, you think he's definitely going to get traded, but it's going to be after the deadline. That's correct. Definitely after the deadline. All right. So, Mark, what are your thoughts then? I I don't think he's going to get moved at all. Um, he might get bought out at the end of the season, and then they might make Terzov the number one going to the next season and try to get a like a really cheap backup because you know they're going to have to eat some money. I don't think anyone wants him right now because I think speaking from experience, as far as like losing one of your best friends, you know, at a, it's it messes with you, and I think he absolutely would need a change of scenery. I think I've even tweeted that a couple times. Like, this isn't all on him, but it's also not all, all on the organization either. So whether or not it's been handled correctly, I have no idea. I'm not in the locker room. I'm not in the front office. I do know that Yarmo likes to keep everything close to the vest, so this definitely sounds like something he would have, like, not wanted to get out at all. Um, but now that the cat's out of the bag, that's I think that's killed any sort of – I guess value that that he he would have on the on the market, especially you know with the way he's been playing. There's I think the buyout is the only option, and I don't even think that happens because there there. I just don't see there's no depth in the goaltending in the organization anymore. That's, That's true. Yeah, so, I, I agree. So I don't know. I mean, he would. I think he could get back to his old self. He's away from everything that reminds him of of Kivlinix. But then again, you know, goaltender is a highly mental position, so he might never be the same because that's that's not something that's easily recovered from. Uh, absolutely, very valid points. Oh, okay. Well, that's that's cool. That's that's. Uh actually one of the things I'd hoped for, I was hoping we wouldn't like agree on every little thing. And, and I think we have three different opinions on that. And so I think he gets traded. My gut tells me before the deadline, Mara, you said after the deadline, right? And then Mark, you said buyout. Am I correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, then that brings me to our next segment. And I, I don't have a whole lot to to say about this. It's just kind of like a, a newsworthy topic I wanted to touch on. And that is uh, Juracek. Um, the fact that they're, you know, they scratched him for two games, they sent him down. And I guess the plan is to call him back up for the, the road trip. Is this the best situation for his development? Or should he be playing every night with the big club? So uh, Mara, we'll start with you. What do you think about that? This seems very unstable, and I don't even know if it's like more of a management thing or more coaching thing, 
I think they should just either keep him down and call him up a few times or that he should just be playing mo- for the most part for the game. So this just reminds me of how the Anaheim Ducks dealt with Leo Carlson with him not playing every single game, but he still True. got injured. So I think maybe they just don't want him getting injured. But, I mean, Columbus isn't making the playoffs. So I don't know what they're thinking in the long term with this. But they should just keep him up in Columbus. Keep him up with the with the, with the the big club. I think I see a lot of potential for him. I would love to see him play with Wierenski. Um, but if he needs extra time in the AHL, he should go for it. But I don't want to see him hurt. And I know that the AHL can be a bit more rough than the NHL in certain aspects. So I think they should just keep him up with the club. Healthy scratch him a few times if they're worried about him getting in, severely injured. But there's no point in having this instability. Yeah, and, and scratching is not always a bad thing. You know, it's it, I don't think it, it, it'll hurt a young guy to every once in a while sit in the press, press box and, and just watch, just kind of take it in. So, Mark, your thoughts? I might be in the minority in this, but I think you send him down to Cleveland for the rest of the year. He's only 20 years old. So he still has some growing to do. He still has some, um, you know, playing against some some older competition. It'll be a slightly less competition, so he'll be up higher in the lineup. Um, but also Cleveland, they're, I mean, no pun intended, but they're monsters this year. They are just <laughs> they destroying are. people. So you get him in a situation where he's playing meaningful minutes in a meaningful run. One, you can't go wrong with that. Look at look at the players that won the Calder Cup. Um, Bjorkstrand, he's an NHL. Rinsky was involved in that a little bit. So, I mean, Ed, that matters, especially at that young age. So I, I don't think calling him up and bringing, sending him down, I think, you know, after this road trip, Sit him down, leave him there. Let him let him marinate in, in that type of run that they're gonna go on. Because I think they're gonna I think they can win it all. And if he's on top line or you know, second, you know, second pairing in a Calder run, that can only that can only benefit him and the franchise going forward. This season's lost. Let him do his thing against younger players, but in a more meaningful way. I love it. I love the perspective. Um I, I don't know where, like, I can't give you guys a concrete answer about where I stand on that because I'm all, I'm on the boat of uh, play the kids. And, and we'll get to that when we, when we talk a little bit more in a, in a different segment, but you know, I, I want to see the kids playing, but playing in the AHL that, that is still playing. So I don't have the, the hockey IQ high enough to determine is it better for him to just be playing in the NHL, getting the time, or is it better to play in the AHL and getting the time? But one thing I can agree on and that I'm absolutely adamant about is that he needs to be playing. Once in a while, scratch in the press box, not a bad thing at all. But overall, he the dude needs to be in the lineup, in, in a lineup. Okay. All right, so we're going to move on to... Uh, our next segment and these last two segments that we're going to, we're going to get into are kind of the, the doozies here. There's going to be, there's a lot of talk about these. Um, Twitter is always on fire with people arguing about the, the different aspects of these two topics. So 
So we're going to get into, into these next. Um, the first one is Yarmo. Yarmo Kekalainen, the GM. Uh, someone posted on Twitter recently. Uh, he, he said that you know people complain too much about Yarmo and that all the good things that he has done for this franchise, they always get overshadowed. So do we agree or disagree on that? Does, does Yarmo deserve the negativity and and the criticism or has he done more for this franchise than he than he gets credit for so i'm, I'm gonna start with my thoughts on this and i personally think he deserves all the negativity that that's coming at him right now the dude has had what 11 years to build a winner and he has not done that that that's kind of his job is is to build a winning team now some will say he's drafted well all right, he, he's brought in some great young talent, and he deserves kudos for that. Well, do you know why he was able to bring in players like Fantilli and, and Juracek and Johnson? It, it's because his team sucks. <laughs> I hate to say it, but, but they did so poorly with the team that he built that they have these high draft picks. And I don't want to sound like a, a condescending know-it-all jerk here, but but I, I think I could have done just as well drafting those same players. I mean, the picks were no-brainers. If I was standing at the podium this summer, I would have picked Fantilli. And the year before that, I would have picked uh, Juracek or Johnson. I can't remember which, which year was which. But because I would have looked at all the scouting reports, and, and that's what it said. Now, I, I could have made just as informed of a decision. And believe it or not, and you guys may not believe me when I tell you this, but when the second round started last summer, I said to myself, if I were the Jackets, I would take Brindley if he's available. And I'm just an average Joe hockey fan, all right? I, and if I could have made those picks just as easily, I guess what, what would set Yarmo apart would be his later round selections, like his ability to, to draft further down the line. And I'm sure he's had some decent ones, but again, yes, absolutely. But where is the success? All right. That that's, that's my thing. So he is, he has had 11 years and I think it's 11. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong. And we have not been successful. So you can say what you want about all the draft picks, but the, the fact of the matter is he has not been able to put the pieces together to create a winning team. Now, I will say to his credit, not only, like you said, Bjorkstrand, but, but the, Chinik the Chinikov pick is looking better and better. But when you look at the whole picture, I, I just don't think he's done a great job, and I, I think we need a, a new chain, a, a new vision. So I also have, my, I have comments on his trading ability, but I want to hear what you guys have to say first. What are your thoughts, Mark? Both. He deserves credit because he's done something that no other GM was able to do, and that is get them to have at least a successful round in the playoffs. True. Albeit in, you know, like historic fashion. So, I mean, there's a lot of luck involved to get into the playoffs with the way they, you know, had structured that team. But once they got in, I mean, we're one injury away from beating Boston and running, making a cup run. So, if, I think it was um, Nudavara got injured against Boston. And uh, there went their depth. I think if he doesn't get hurt, because the way he was playing, they beat Boston, and then they they were they would have been favorites to go to the cup 
with the way that team was built once they got in. Interesting. Um, but that being said, this is professional sports. I'm a Cleveland Browns fan. It's what have you done for me lately? Hey, you just lost <laughs> in, the, in the wild card round when you were favored. So what are you going to do about it? Well, Columbus, what are you going to do about it? You had one playoff success. Well, one playoff run. You got out of the first round. You beat Mont- um, Toronto when everyone, no one said you had a chance to beat them. Okay, cool. Now what? So I mean, he's done both. He did things that has never been done before, and he's also doing the exact same thing that has always been done. So it's a mixed bag. Do I think he deserves one more year? I mean, this year's been a little weird. Uh, I mean, they started off the, the Babcock hire, which I personally thought that wasn't going to be a bad job, bad hire. I didn't think it was going to explode before the season even started. I was optimistic. I mean, I, I was in the mi- I was in the minority who would absolutely loved the Tortorella hire, and all you would see on social media was this: "What a joke! What an ass! Why would you do that? You're just destroying this franchise." And then what happened? The best five years this team has ever seen. And he's doing the same in Philly right now. The same thing with Philly. So all the negativity about the old school coach that has a shelf life. Well, that's what they needed, and I thought they needed Babcock. Now. What happened with all that, with the sharing of pictures? Uh, I mean, you know, yeah, that's a weird look. But at the time of the hire, I was like, okay, well, this guy means business. He's going to do the exact opposite of, of um, what uh, Lars was doing. That's what we need. So, and then, you know, third time's a charm for Pascal Vincent. So he hires him. And then, of course, start injury, our big players start getting injured again. They're playing like crap anyways. This this season again is a wash to me because it started off weird, and then has just gone every which way it could possibly go. So I think maybe next season is is Yarmo's last season. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think like what you said, it, it's all about sustained success. I like to use that phrase a lot. Yarmo has not given us sustained success. We did have that. That that uh, playoff run that that was nice that that win against Tampa, but you know as fans I think we want sustained success. We don't just want you know a year to make the playoffs and then have to wait ten more to get back in again. So Mara, chime in here. What do you think? There has been a lot of negativity in the fan base, and a lot of blame is being put on Yarmo. But I do think he deserves some. I saw a lot of the negativity in recent, in this past year, honestly. Like, ever since Lizzie Panera and Bob, CBJ started to go downhill. And I think that 2020 was a miracle. And no one was thinking torts and all the, the tandem of Elvis and Corpusello. Um, because when one was injured, the other stepped up. It, we would not have known they would have been a as successful as they have and then there were a lot of questionable moves ever since that 2020 playoff run um the trades and 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 then the bjorkstrand trade it was i did not like that it was a punch to the gut the atkinson trade i hated that i i became a blue jacket fan because of cam atkinson and the success the blue jackets had in making the playoffs so the 2019 playoff run was my first year of being a Blue Jacket fan and then 2020 happened. I think my biggest concern is the young guys. And if 
Yarmo Kekalainen cannot get these young guys like Sillinger. I like Sillinger. I really do. I oh, think there's too. potential there. There, There's Kent Johnson. I'm concerned about those two guys. And if we keep losing for years on end, Fantilli will want to leave. So I think Yarmo needs to go if there is cozy, more coaching mishaps. We'll get to that in a later segment. But I think there's been more blunders that Yarmo and the front office have been doing when it comes to these young players. And I can see that Fantilli can change the narrative. He really can. But if we keep making all of these bad trades, um, drafting's been okay, but I think the front office just maybe needs a change because this hasn't been working out in recent years, ever since Panera and Bob left. But I'm not too big of a fan of Bobrovsky right now, so... <laughs> I've never really been a Bob fan since since he left, but I really think there needs to be some relationship between the younger players and coaching and front office. So then these rumors of these tra- these trade rumors of Sillinger and, and Johnson can go away. They they really need to go away. So I think ever since Torts left, it's been downhill. Well, I like what you're saying there. Um, the I, I use the phrase a new vision. Like I, I think they just need a new vision right now. You know, change of scenery. Um, just for, even if it's just for like the the morale. Um, I, I know he has a, a year left. At least I think that's what he has a year left on his contract. So you know, my my opinion, my opinion is that he uh, he should go before the deadline so that someone else can come in, assess the situation assess what we have and then make decisions at the deadline based on that. But, um, but one thing I wanted to, to add to that is just another, another thing that, that people say about Yarmo is that, that he wins the trades he makes. He always gets the, the better end of the deal, but I, I have this great analogy and I'm, I'm kind of bragging here by saying great analogy. And I put this on Twitter. I don't know if you guys have seen this. Um, I've said this in a different episode, but the way I see Yarmo winning trades is it's like me trading Dollar General coffee for Starbucks coffee. I've, I've won the trade. If I, if I trade Dollar General coffee for Starbucks coffee, I have won the trade. I got the better coffee. But you know what? I don't drink coffee. I don't like coffee. So it, it doesn't benefit me in the long run. So sure, Yarmo has won some trades. He got the, the better players, the better deal, but it didn't end up benefiting the team in the long run. So did he really win them? So that, that's my take on, on Yarmo. And I, I won't even get started on the, the defense because that's just <laughs> another issue. I mean, we've had what? Like if, if you look back to last year, okay, we, we've had – Two-thirds of our defense changed, basically, because Wierenski was injured all last year, pretty much. We added Juracek. We added Provorov. Provorov, we added Severson. So that's four out of the six D that are basically new to the team. Our, our, our defense was revamped, and it has huh. not worked. I actually have something to say, say in regards to that comment. So sure. I don't know how much you guys watch college hockey, but my alma mater, North Dakota – they actually got rid of every single defenseman, and now they're top of the league. I know college is a bit different from the NHL, but 
I I think there's something else that's going on that we probably don't know that like maybe I was optimistic about the defense this year. I thought, you know what, we got Severson, you know, he's great. Let's see what we can do with him, Yurichek, Wierenski back, and then injuries on every on every level. So um it could either go go to crap like it's been going for CBJ, or it could be a wonderful thing in the college sense with North Dakota. So it, it's really a mixed bag when you change so much. So that's just the other side of things if you change things up like that. Nice. Well, to be fair, they still have Peak, which I still don't understand why everyone was fall, you know, falling all over themselves over him. They still have, I mean, Blankenberg is still in the organization and he was great last season when he was up here. Um, I think he's only down there just because we have some of the, you know, higher priced guys. And at the moment we're getting healthier, but I don't know. I mean, I liked the Proverob move. I liked the move to get Severson because, you know, some of those guys that were playing full time, just they either, either A, weren't ready or just are not NHLers. And now we got some NHLers, but I mean, this will probably lead in the next segment, but I mean, is it structure? I mean, what was Babcock's defensive structure compared to what Pascal's doing? Because Babcock was always, you know, he's almost like torts, like defense, like defense first, that matters. You play defense leads to offense, period. Well, we're not playing that way now. Right now we're playing like offense only. Very true. There's a couple plays where, uh, what was the, the goal a couple nights ago, where like nobody was in front of Elvis, but yet oh, two yeah. opponents were, and you're like, <laughs> what the hell's going on? Like, what are we doing? What is this? Is this like the reverse umbrella? Because we don't know. Yeah. Did you see the the, the the screen cap on that where they had all five guys were in the corner on that play? Yeah. It's crazy. What is that? I have played better defense in my rack hockey league, and half of us have never played hockey. So play like that. We've always had at least two people in front of our goalies. So it, I just don't like the de- like the defense structure. I really would have loved to see how Babcock would have done for our defense if that if he was still with us. And that actually is a nice segue into our next and final big segment, which is um, Pascal Vincent. So you know, a lot of people, a lot of fans are are calling for his head already. We're just over halfway through the through the season. So is this fair? Or or should we as fans be giving him more time before judging his his performance? You know, maybe maybe it's it's the players that he was given that don't mesh well, in which case that means the, the blame would fall on Yarmo. Or maybe it's the structure, which is which is a coaching problem. So so what do you think? Is the the criticism fair, uh, Mark? What do you think? I don't think it's fair at all. Um, one, he was put into pretty much the most impossible situation you could put a coach into. The, the, the head coach that you were passed on over, that they hired, somehow manages to do something to where they get fired right before training camp starts. So now you have like three days to set up your training camp. And to try to install what you want to do, which I can almost guarantee, because every coach is different, would have been different from what Bob Bobcat had set up. So he gets, what, less than a week to do that. 
So he's basically trying to install offense and defensive structure throughout the season. Oh, by the way, we're going to play the first 31 games of our season in the first 60 days of the, of the year. Yeah, that was horrible. So we have absolutely no practice time. And then on top of that, you know, some players start getting injured in and out of the lineup. You're trying to figure out what lines work because you didn't have a full off season as the primary head coach to try to figure this out. I think he's getting a raw deal. Hmm. Well, um, before before I ch- chime in on that, uh, Mara, let's get your thoughts on the same same thing. Wow, that's a very interesting perspective, Mark. I had a lot of patience um, for Pascal Vincent earlier in the season, but there was like just so much that's been happening with like rumors, I guess, with Sillinger and Kent Johnson and all of this stuff that just went on that I don't know i think it's more of a if a players feel comfortable if the younger guys feel comfortable because i mean the the reason why Babcock got fired was it was a younger player with those pictures i think or so goes the story so i don't know i would feel more comfortable with a veteran head coach after dealing with larson and now pascal this year um there's been some risky moves and i don't know if they have actually benefited the team so my opinion on this is it really depends on the locker room and how the younger players feel and the veterans feel. I think Fantilli might need – I think Fantilli needs more ice time. I just got to say he needs to be center. I don't know. Maybe he does need to be center. Maybe he doesn't. I'm not a coach. But I think I think Fantilli deserves some more ice time. But And he can be that player that Columbus needs – to just score more goals, make it exciting, even though we're not making the playoffs. So I think there's a lot of negativity that Pascal doesn't deserve online, but then also it seems like such an impossible situation that I can't really give give an opinion at this point, but I think maybe maybe it's a player's decision. I think um, a lot of this stuff has been in that we don't know about. Like it's locker room players, team management, stuff like that, that we as fans do not know if how the players really feel. So I think the players have decisions to make. If they feel good about Pascal, then uh, maybe just give give Pascal another, another year as coach. Yeah. All right. Well, my opinion is um, I think the, the criticism is fair. I think it, it's fair to criticize – a coach when the team, and at least in my opinion, is too talented to not be better than what it is. I'm not saying we should be, you know, lighting the world on fire, but I think we should be better. But I'm also in the boat that, you know, I'm willing to give him a pass based on, you know, being thrown into this mix, you know, a couple days before training camp. I get that. Um, and, and also going back to our discussion about Yarmo, I think a lot of it is the pieces that he has, especially on defense. So I'm not sure how much of that is coachable, and I don't know how much of that is just the personnel that's involved. But one thing I totally 100% agree with you on this, Mara, is that Fantilli should be playing more. Okay, so in general, I think the, the young players should be getting as much time as possible. All right, this is a lost season. We're not making the playoffs. So put the young kids out there for each and every situation. 
Now, let me be clear. I, I don't agree with tanking. Okay. I don't, I don't believe in that at all. All right. They are professional athletes. They should be trying to win every single game, but I'm going to, I'm going to invent a new term here. Okay. I want them to kind of tank while, while trying to win. Okay. I'm going to call it twinking, tanking while trying to win. So, so, so let me, let me explain that, right? They should absolutely be trying to win every single game, but they should be doing that using all the players in their lineup, mostly the younger players. Okay. So, so if the team is down by one goal with two minutes left in the third, instead of throwing Boone and Johnny out there, throw out Vantilli and Johnson, throw out Juracek. Uh, if, if the team is up by a goal and, and you're trying to preserve a win, instead of putting Boone and Corrali out there, put out Fantilli, put out Juracek. In those situations, if you win the game, you win. The players get, get experience and you win the game. But if you lose, you still win. The, the players get the experience and you're setting yourself up for, I hate to say it, a, a better draft position. And I think that is what infuriates me the most when it comes to Pascal is that the Jackets seem to be stuck. They, they, it's like they're, they're still in the mode where they're, where they're playing for the postseason when they're not going to make the postseason. The season is lost, so it's, it's time to start playing for future seasons in mind. So that's, that's my big thing with, with Vincent. So. Any any final thoughts on Pascal before we move on to our final thing? Well, I so here's my question. So let's say they do that. You've just lost the, the veterans in that locker room. Because you you're about? telling them that, one, I'm not really trying to win. I'm hoping to win. But sorry, Boone. I know you're the most reliable person that plays center that we have on the team right now. But in these critical situations, when the game on the line, I'm not going to put you in. I'm going to put the young guys in because you know we're not really trying to win. Well, now you just you just killed that relationship, and so on and so forth. So I mean, it's a very fine line between. With there, you the, there you go. That's so, what I was going to say. It's a fine line. And, you got to have some kind of balance. And if and, yeah, if, and yeah. if you're willing to do that, you're willing to put all the and, and, and alienate your your vets then you might as well just trade them all in the offseason, get whatever the heck you can and only bring and only play first, second, and third years. Because that that's the message you're sending to the organization. And I don't know if you want to do that. I don't know if that's a good way to run the organization. No, you kind of really have to balance it out, I think. Yeah, and, and you know what I, I really think this team misses so much is Nick Foligno. I, I just think his yep. – presence and stability in the locker room is leadership. I think we really miss that right now. Now, a question, if you, I think you should be playing Fantilli as the top line center and everybody who talks to you who will say anything about this team says Boone Jenner is better on the wing. So then why not have Fantilli center Jenner? Cuz you still have that guy who can win the face off if Fantilli gets tossed out and you still have that that, you know, top line center mentality on the wing to help the younger kid. I don't know why they don't do that. That could be a Pascal question. I think I might have an idea. Boone Jenner is so good on face-offs. 
But I don't know. I haven't watched much Blue Jackets games recently. But I know at the beginning of the season, Fantilli wasn't doing so well on face-off. So maybe it could be just like a face-off thing that they want Fantilli and Boone to be taking face-offs in, in the top two center positions. So maybe it's just getting Fantilli exposure to taking face-offs in the NHL in a top two center role while also giving Boone that top center role with the other two veterans. Maybe you need to balance it out. Maybe Fiantelli just needs to have time as a wing. I'm not a coach, but maybe maybe it's a face-off thing with Fiantelli. And Boone can do those face-offs. He's like one of the best face-off winners in the organization. So maybe it's just face-offs. So let me guys let me ask you guys something then. So you know, I, I like to think I know a lot about hockey because, you know, I, I played it and coached it and I watch it all the time. But can't they just, you know, if, if that's if that's the case, if, if Boone is in there mostly because he wins faceoffs, can't they just set up that way for the faceoff and then revert to Fantilli? Like, that's what happens the when they throw someone out of the dot. That's what exactly. they do. So, exactly. uh, yeah. I agree. I don't know what the what the, what the issue is then. Uh, it'd be more of a Pascal thing than maybe. I don't know. It's yeah, but obviously, this. I mean, the the whole point of this whole podcast and, and us talking is because of things like this. It's just so frustrating sometimes to be a Jackets fan. It really is. So. Uh, we, we pretty much come to the end of the line here, and I want to end with a quick question. This is just kind of a um, like a random opinion question. The Jackets have gone over two years now, I believe, without a shutout, and I don't even know how long they've gone without a three-game winning streak. So I want to ask you guys, which, you, which do you think is going to come first? Do you think the Jackets are going to get a shutout, or do you think the Jackets are going to win three games? What do you think? We'll, we'll we'll go with you first, Mara. What do you think? Three three game winning streak all the way. The Columbus Blue Jackets might be the new Vancouver Canucks, and next year might be a completely different result. So I don't trust the defense to helping the goalie to get a shutout. So definitely three game winning streak. I'm guessing Tarasov would have to be in net if they do get a shutout, but definitely they're gonna win three games in a row. Probably next year, though. Okay. And Mark, same question. I mean, I can't disagree with that. I mean, it's not, it's not just the defense. I mean, defense is a full five-player deal. And for whatever reason, there's always at least one guy who's seemingly out of position that just either turns the puck over or just has no clue where the other opponent is. And they're just in a wide-open slot area. And, and, you know, now you're relying on a goalie who's – both Tarasov and Merz Lincolns are kind of in their head right now. So I definitely think it's going to be a three game winning streak. I think it'll happen maybe a little bit later in the year when their schedule actually, you know, kind of softens because they've had a, they've had one of the tougher schedules of the season so far. So we'll see when it softens up a little bit. Yeah. I'm going to have to agree with you both. If I had to pick between the two, I see this team winning three games before that shutout comes around. So, all right, well, that's, there we go. Something we all agree on. That's, that's wonderful. All right, well, um, you two uh, stick around just, just for a moment after I end this thing. Um, but I just want to thank everybody for 
listening today, anybody who is listening, and, and thank you to our first ever guests on Boom and Gloom, Mark and Mara. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you guys at least enjoyed talking some CBJ hockey. That was great. It was so much fun. Thank you so much. All right. So I'm going to end this recording here. So um, just stick around for just. So thanks again for joining us for this week's episode. And to all the listeners out there who have actually stuck it out this far, appreciate you doing that and hope to see you back next next time. If you have any questions or suggestions for the show, please shoot them my way. You can find me at Whaler Jacket or old-fashioned Gmail, whalerjacket at gmail.com. Take care and go Jackets.